Hello, welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, before we get started with my guest, Devin Wild, just a couple housekeeping things. Um, we've started a new Facebook group that you may want to join. It's called LGBTQ and Allies in Ward Stakes and Missions. You can find it under that title on Facebook. The goal of that group is those of you that are trying to put together LGBTQ events or activities that are church-sponsored or church-supported in your area of influence and want to join a community that's doing the same thing, just to bounce ideas or see what they're doing, you can join that group. Um, The things you can do to support this podcast in particular is leave a review at Apple Podcasts. Um, I could read some of those reviews, appreciate all that you're doing that are leaving reviews, and also um, buy and um, share my book with others, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. With that said, my guest on today's podcast in my home on a beautiful summer Saturday morning is my friend Devin Wild. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And um, I'll give you a little bit of introduction about Devin, and then we'll let him share his story. He's 21 years old. He's been home from his LDS mission. He served in Scotland, Ireland. Um, He'd been home for about a year. I may have said that. He grew up in Salt Lake City, went to Copperfield High School. Is that what I'm, is that correct? Uh, Copper Hills, yeah. Copper Hills High School graduated in 2018. Um, He's going to share his story with uh, being a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, He'll talk about life before his mission, life on his mission, and where he's headed now. Um, Where he's headed is he wants to stay active in the church, and he'll talk about that. Um, He's dated men since his mission. He's had some experience dating women before his mission. Um, He's talk about his mental health. He will probably talk about some experiences we've had with pornography and being so open and vulnerable. And he's done this with me before we went live is just a credit to Devin and his ability to just not be ruled by fear, which is one of the themes that we talked about before he went live. So our joint prayer is Devin's honest story, his vulnerability, his personal revelation, his deep connection to God will help you, especially those of you that are listening that aren't out to anybody and and are wondering if there's a way forward for you. And if you're of kind of lost hope and just feel darkness, I think Devin podcasts in particular will be helpful for you. So that's our joint prayer. And Without further, is that anything you want to clarify on your bio? Um, no, I think that all sounds pretty good. So um, just talk to us about life before your mission. Um, any Anything you want to share about that period of your time? Um, I think generally my childhood was normal to a sense. Um, yeah, just standard kid stuff, playing around. Um, I actually, I guess you could say um, a lot of the neighborhood kids that I was with were girls. And so I got used to playing around with like dolls and playing house. And there weren't many uh, guy kids to play around with. So um, a lot of that was, a lot of my childhood was uh, putting on a dress or, um, stuff like that. And I never gave a care about it until my brother had mentioned it and then stopped at that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, just super normal childhood. Um, other than <laughs> uh, 
really other than the fact of like I started viewing pornography at a really young age. Um, and at a young age, too, I had a friend um, who um, we would experiment a little bit with each other. Um, so that's where it kind of veers off, I guess, um, on the normal side of things. Thanks for being honest. Will you share with our listeners your approximate age, just in case parents are listening, wondering, know when this sort of thing can happen? <laughs> was it pre-10, after 10? Um, so this was all before the age of 10. Um, I have a hard time remembering exactly what age. Um, when it came to the friend, um, we were really young. Um, I don't even remember, to be honest. It's okay. Um, I just know I was super young, um, and that's what kind of led me into being more curious about the human body. Um, and um, thinking, looking up on the internet about it and out of curiosity, and that's what kind of led me into the whole pornography side of things. And did you talk to anybody about viewing pornography or this experience, or did you keep this all to yourself? I kept this all to myself um, up until high school. Um, before then, like my dad, um, he had caught me when I first had started. Um, and we had a conversation about respecting women and um, how we shouldn't view that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but then I went to the other side of going towards men. And that's where I really started to get stuck and um, really didn't ever get caught after that point. Um, close calls, but I was able to lie my way out of stuff. Um, not a good talent to have, I guess, in that situation, but um, yeah, it wasn't until in high school, about a year and a half, a year and a half before my mission, um, I had talked to my bishop saying I had, uh, was viewing pornography. Um, and I white knuckled it then and was able to stop. Share with our listeners your feelings about pornography and sexual orientation. Do you think that influenced your sexual orientation or just an insight into your sexual orientation? I believed that for a really long time. Um, I thought a lot of my childhood experiences of viewing pornography and just growing up with that in my mind my brain's developing and I'm viewing this stuff at a really young age makes that has to be the reason I'm gay. God wouldn't make me gay. Um, and so that was kind of my thought during it. Um, but then during high school and even more so while I was on my mission, um, I realized that that really isn't the case. Um, the more I looked back on things, like, no, I looked at it because that's what I, I enjoyed looking at personally. Um, it's not because it's what I grew up watching. Talk, what would you say to um, people that are viewing pornography right now um, that are roughly in this really young age group between 10 and 17, 18? Mm -hmm. um, it can be a really hard path. I had a lot of shame and guilt with it because I knew what the church's stance was when it came to it. And I didn't want to be viewed as a bad person. Um, so there was a lot of shame and guilt going with that. Um, and so I had a lot of fear and anxiety when 
um, viewing that kind of stuff. I guess what I really have to say now is try and not let that get to you. Shame and guilt can be very damaging. Um, while a little bit of guilt I think is good, shame is what's ultimately going to bring you down. Um, what viewing pornography may be um, not supported by the church and for good reasonings, but I had to do a lot of work to get to a point where I realized I'm not going to let that affect me. While I realized I, what I did um, wasn't good in a sense, um, I'm not going to let that affect me, and I know I can still better myself if I want to. And so that's the kind of path I decided to take and go route on um, is just trying to be comfortable with myself. Yeah, it's good advice. Um, we do talk a bit about pornography on this podcast, and I appreciate Devin's thoughts. I think I believe, um, too, that pornography is a sin, but I think one of Satan's greatest victories is when he can create the lie in our minds to separate us from God's love. Mm -hmm. And if he can accomplish that, he's accomplished something pretty significant in our lives, whether that's around um, whatever comes into our life. Um, so I think part of mortality is what comes into our life, how we deal with it and how we move forward and keep God in our lives as we make our way forward. How were you able to white knuckle it? Um, it sounds like you know, for a year and a half before your mission, you've, um, for those that are also wanting to be able to do that, just completely um, be off pornography, how did you do that? Um, purely, like I said, it was white knuckling. Um, I had the mindset that um, I wanted to go on a mission, and I knew that was something I would have to take care of before I went on it. And so... I talked to my bishop, and after that meeting, I just did whatever I could to push thoughts out of my head. Um, I um, ignored stuff. I tried to be less active or be more open on my phone. Um, and so I just kind of went cold turkey. Um, ultimately, that wasn't a long-term solution but um, I worked for a time being. It's good. Credit to you and credit to you being open with your bishop. That probably took some courage. Mm -hmm. I assume your heart rate was not at its normal level as you walked in your bishop's <laughs> office. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so respect for doing your best to be honest and upfront. Seems like that's who you are, Devin. Talk about being gay um, in high school, knowing you're gay. Um, were you out to anybody? Were you trying to fit in just... Share with our listeners, um, and it sounds like you knew you were gay. I don't want to put those words mm -hmm. into your mouth if that's not how you were identifying, but just share with us your thoughts. Yeah, so during kind of like high school, I did know I was gay. Um, I think about around the age of 10 is when I really started to understand what being gay was. Um, I never came out to anyone um, until uh, on my mission. Um, I had a lot of fear about 
um, what people would think of me and how I presented myself. So a lot of high school was um, changing my mannerisms uh, to not appear as gay, to try not and out myself. Um, I had a lot of scary calls. Um, there was one girl that thought I was gay just purely based on my voice. And I got a really big insecurity about that and tried to change it. And even while I was on my mission, um, I had a companion um, that I said, I didn't like my voice, it sounds too gay. And me and him both tried to fix it. And so uh, a lot of the, that high school was trying to change my myself to not appear or look as gay or even sound as gay. Um, so I always tried to stay in the back, try not to be noticed, um, and just did my best to never let anyone know the truth. Did you not pursue or pursue activities because you wanted to fit into that heteronormative world that you were trying to fit into? Um, kind of, I think so. I didn't do too many activities, mainly because... Um, the more I was around people, the more people would get to know me and therefore they have a better chance of figuring out I could be gay. Um, so I always tried to minimize the effect that I could have or the effect of people finding out. Um, that was pretty much the forefront of my mind 24-7 is how can I, what can I say or what can I do to make it seem like that's not the case. And so. That's exhausting, as you know, and mm -hmm. you've lived firsthand, and as my guests have taught me. Um, talk about what we could, just talk about if you could do high school over again, knowing what you know now and where you are now. If you could re be reborn, <laughs> you probably don't want to do high school again. <laughs> that's kind of, the, no one wants to probably do high school again except we have less pain in our bodies than <laughs> get out of bed quicker. But talk about, do talk about that. What would you do different in high school? Looking back, first off, I wish I wasn't as lazy when it came to schoolwork. Um, I wish I was more proactive. Um, and I wish I had the courage and was comfortable enough with myself um, to have come out when I was younger in high school. Um, I think that would have changed how the course of my life in the future would have went a lot. And um, I, I think um, I would have been in a better place today if I had come out sooner. But Talk about this phrase, um, you don't want to be ruled by fear. That fear has been basically my entire life. Um, ever since I was a kid, um, I knew looking at pornography was wrong and was not a good thing. I knew um, experimenting um, with a childhood friend was not good. Um, and then I knew I was different um, when it came, I knew I liked men in a different way. Um, I wasn't sure exactly how um, until I started to get a little older and, um, all these kind of things I knew were bad things. And so I 
didn't want to get in trouble. I didn't want um, to be viewed in a bad light as or as a bad person. And so I um, kept all that to myself and any sort of emotions, really. Um, I kept to myself and just bottled up because I was so scared of what people's opinions on me were. And I was so scared of the outcomes that could happen that it ruled, fear has ruled me up until about this past year. Did you ever ask in prayer how your heavenly father, your heavenly parents felt about you in high school being gay? Um, I've never actually thought about that. No, I haven't uh, ever really prayed to think about what my parents thought. Um, I mean, and I did try and poke at some stuff. Um, growing up, I never felt like I could come out. Um, I didn't necessarily feel like it was a good option because there were comments growing up in my family that, um, weren't always the best when it came to that kind of stuff. Um, like one example was, um, I had a friend whose parents, um, divorced and the mom came out as a lesbian, married another woman. And she was having a hard time with her parents just in figuring herself out. And so I wanted to go to the reception to, um, support her. But one of the viewpoints that came across from my parents the night before um, was they really didn't want me to go because um, they didn't want me to be affected in any way um, or um, just didn't want me to go purely because it was a same-sex relationship kind of wedding. Um, and so that really stuck with me and made it feel like I couldn't uh, come out at the time. And so I just never really thought about kind of trying to see what their viewpoint was because I always had it as it's probably not a good thing. That's, you know, and I think listeners is, I think we can do better to create um, a loving, accepting culture for straight people, for LGBTQ people. So those that are LGBTQ can talk about this earlier and they don't in, get all this internalized shame and self-loathing that you're feeling these years, something that you are that you can't undo somehow. Mm -hmm. And all the narrative around you often is not kind, and so it just adds to your load and makes you feel unworthy of God's love or your own love. And you've lived this firsthand, and I just think we can do so much better. Um, and I think a lot of people are trying to do better. Before we went live, and maybe it's good for you to talk about this, um, and maybe it's we need to remind our listeners that it's our mutual friend, Todd Sylvester, mm. that connected us. Um, Todd is just an incredible human being doing great work. But talk about Todd for a second and his role in your life. Um, so Todd, he's an amazing guy. Um, he has been great for me in my life. Um, I actually first met Todd back in 2016. Um in a weird kind of way. Um, part of his story, if anyone knows, is um, he would go on drives and he would always see this girl selling lemonade. Um, that little girl, her mom, worked with my mom. And in 2016, uh, that little girl in her ward 
was doing a fireside and had asked Todd to share his story. And so we got invited and me and my mom went. And it was a really great, awesome story. And I got the opportunity to take a picture with him. And then come years down the road after my mission, um, back on pornography, struggling. Um, another work friend of my mom uh, said, well, you should try this guy, Todd Sylvester. Um, he did really good with my son. Um, I think he would be really, he could help yours. And so she connected my mom and Todd. And then that's how I started meeting with Todd and doing some therapy sessions. And um, that's how I kind of have initially gotten to really know him. So Todd is just doing great work. He hosts a podcast called Belief Cast Podcast. It's just a tremendous podcast. He really focuses on helping people overcome addictions. I think a lot of his guests are people that have overcome addictions and just doing great work um, to help a lot of people. And I'm glad that Todd has you and um, you in his life. If I said that right, sometimes I say <laughs> things backwards. I hope you're okay with that, listeners. Um, talk about this concept of owning your own story. This is what Todd, one of the things Todd invited you to do is to own your own story or your story will own you. Yeah, that was something he had told me um, that's really stuck with me. Um, I have had a lot of shame and guilt with a lot of things I've done. Um, and it has real it really consumed me um mentally i was not doing okay and i struggled a lot um and when todd had told me that um kind of opened my mind a little bit of how true that is um i can own my story and be okay and um work through things that i've done in my life or I can sit in fear and let those stories rule me and live continuously in shame. And I just came to the decision that I don't want that to be my life. Um, and so that is the saying that's really just stuck with me ever since. It's a pretty powerful statement. I think it's grounded in the doctrine of you're a heavenly you know, we're all children of heavenly parents and mm -hmm. we all should own our own stories and we all have the right to have our own stories. Yeah. Um, and I realized this, you know, there's so much shame around the things you're talking about that unnecessarily adds to your mental health. Talk about the connection with how this consumed you and added to your emotional health and just got you in bad, bad spot. Um, a lot of the shame and guilt um, kind of mixes in with a lot of different aspects. Um, most of my life growing up, I had shame and guilt, and it just kept growing and growing and growing. I, I developed not seeing myself in a good light. I thought I was a terrible person. I didn't have any self-worth. Um, I never was going to be a good person. Um, all I do is cause trouble um, and pain in people's lives. And I just carried that with me because of things I had done. And ultimately, 
it landed me in some bad spots, um, especially when I was on my mission. Um, and when I went, when I got on my mission, um, my mental health plummeted. It was really some of the darker times of my life. Um, I had a lot of great, wonderful experiences there, and I loved my mission. Um, but there were also a lot of darker times, and I was extremely depressed and had a lot of anxiety about things. Um, and my self-worth just continued to plummet while I was there, um, just based on things that I had been told. Um, and a lot of that kind of led um, with me being just weak at times, um, led me into some bad decisions that being made. And I love the way you're connecting um, all of this. Talk about, we have, you're kind of the first wave of COVID missionaries coming home. Talk about what it's like to be separate from all of this going on in your life. Talk <laughs> about just being in lockdown in COVID somewhere in Ireland or Scotland. Yeah, so at that time when we went to lockdown, I was in Stirling, Scotland, and that was not fun. Um, we were only allowed to go outside for one hour each day. Other than that, you had to be inside. And so for three months, basically, I was stuck indoors. Um, and that did not do any wonders for my mental health. Um, it really made it hard. Um, but during that time, um, I took the opportunity. It gave me a lot of time to think um, about my sexuality. Um, I put a lot of studying into what the church's views were on same-sex attraction and all that kind of stuff. And during that time, I had convinced myself I was actually bisexual um, because prior to the mission, um, there was a girl um, that my senior year of doing performing ballroom, uh, she had just joined that year, um, didn't really get to know her until really the end of the year. And we really started to connect and started to hang out after we had graduated. And I thought I'd really started to develop, I had felt different with her than I had with any other girl in my life. Um, and so left on my mission, <coughs> sorry, and um, just kind of had that in the back, the back of my head. And so when the lockdown hit, that was in my mind when I was trying to study all this stuff. And before that, I knew I was gay. Um, but with that one simple thing, I convinced myself I was bisexual and that I could have a normal LDS life. And I went with that and um, just continued doing my best to st study that topic. Um, I eventually came across uh, a Facebook page for um, a podcast called Listen or Latter Gay Stories, and I binge listened to those while I would clean. I would put a headphone in. Um, my companion at the time didn't really care because uh, it was his like it was his last. Um, uh, what's it called? Transfer. Transfer. Yeah, it was his last transfer, and so um, I would play the video and just put my phone face down and listen, try and listen to as many people's stories as I could. Um, but yeah, my mental health um, did not do 
well in that space when it came to only staying inside 24-7. Yeah, I mean, I think mental, I've thought about missionaries and COVID lockdown and the mental health and the role of therapists, mission presidents, parents, companions, and you've got this added stuff going in your head about your sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just recognize how a lot of personalities that will just kind of get in there and just keep circling around without a way to sort of process that um, in a healthy, logical way. And so I, my heart goes out to you, even though you're in a country I have a, a soft heart for, Scotland. I don't know if it was wintertime <laughs> or summertime then. Yeah. Thankfully, it was more like spring, 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 summer. And so it was actually kind of sucky because most of the weather while I was there was real. It was just raining all the time, cloudy. And then once the lockdown hit, Scotland decided to have super nice blue sky, sunny days. And we were stuck inside. So that's not fair. <laughs> Um, talk about coming home from your mission. So coming home, that was a really, really, really dark time. Probably one of the lowest points in my life. Um, I was already struggling a lot mentally. Um, I was on a phone call, um, with my mission president talking about how I was going home and, um, We, there were previous things I hadn't talked about and fixed before going on my mission. And um, what basically was, uh, like, while I was on my mission, got back on pornography. So we would talk about that. And then um, the experimentation before my mission, um, I had never told anyone that because I was too scared. And so we, I would talk with him about that. And I got all that kind of cleared up uh, while I was on my mission. Um, but questions came up from, uh, my mission president asking if I had same sex attraction. I initially told him no, because I still don't want people to know. And I was just too scared. Um, but I came out to him over a phone call a couple days before I left, um, saying I was bisexual. And at that time, the tone of his voice, um, just sounded kind of like, to me, it came off as disapproving in a way. I'm just saying, like, well, previously you had told me you weren't. It's like, you lied to me, and that's not good kind of thing. And so I felt bad about that. And then I was dealing with all the anxiety of what are what's my ward going to think? They're, everyone's going to know. They're going to ask questions. What am I going to do? Um so the entire time, I traveled home completely alone, and I was in a complete depression. Um, I'd say there was a, kind of a lot of despair at the time, and I was not in a good mental space. Um, at that time, I was just kind of wishing, as I was walking the sidewalks, um, that a car or some trunk driver would just come and hit me. And that way I wouldn't have to deal with anything and I could just be done with everything. Um, I never wanted to like end stuff myself because I was always too scared. But I traveled home alone and I just 
studied the scriptures on repentance and spent a lot of time on that. Um, coming home, before I actually left, I called, was able to do a video chat with my mom. And I came out to her saying I was bisexual then. And that was a really hard thing. The conversation wasn't amazing. Um, and I told her that she could tell the rest of my family because I knew I wouldn't have the strength to tell anyone face to face. I still wasn't comfortable saying it myself. And I knew if she didn't say anything, I never would. And it would cause a lot more complication to my family. So she told everyone and I got some re a really nice text from one of my siblings who was just open and understanding. And I felt really comfortable. Still do with her talking about stuff. Um, just basically saying she loves me no matter what. And hers was the only one at, at the time that really kind of conveyed that it was okay that I was that way. Um, but that night, um, so how my traveling kind of worked is I went from Edinburgh to London. I stayed the night at London in a hotel room. And that night, I was just such in a bad spot. I said a prayer before going to bed. And I was just praying that I would be able to stop feeling the way I was because I just couldn't handle it. And I wasn't sure of anything I was going to do. I wasn't in a good mental place to really make any decisions. Um, and thankfully, when I woke up the next morning, I had a 360 or 180, not 360, 180. And um, I didn't have those feelings anymore. I was able to be in a whole lot better of a mood during the next day of travel. Um, when I got home, my mom and my brother were there at the airport, um, which was really great. I got to see them due to COVID restrictions. Not all my family could be there. And so we, my other siblings, we met with them in a parking lot a Target parking lot, <coughs> and uh, just said hello and got to see each other real quick and briefly. Um, and then um, my mom knew about me going back on pornography, and so the moment I got back home, she put me with a therapist. And so from day one, um, I was already in the position of trying to resolve that. Um, Although that wasn't my main problem that really needed to be fixed at the time. Um, that was her main concern. And so I was working on that. Um, but then I was working on myself and my own views of the church. And that was a big struggle for the next year. Um, I struggled a lot with how I would fit in the church, viewpoints of the church. And I, even up to the point of going home, I was still set on marrying a woman. I'm going to um, have a normal LDS Mormon life. I'm going to make it work. Ultimately, I tried to date that girl that I had feelings for um, before the mission. 
And she's a really great friend. Um, but if there was anyone that w- it was going to work out with, it was going to be her. And so I asked her out on a date. We went on a few dates. Um, and while they were really fun, any sort of advancement um, physically, I would get really physically uncomfortable. And I just couldn't go along with it. And um, I just, I felt bad because I kind of knew what was going on. Um, And at that time, I realized that I was just gay. And I could see where that would be a lot of hurtful to her if since she did have a bit of feelings for me. Um, And I mentally struggled trying to figure out how I was going to break it to her. Ultimately, I didn't tell her that I was gay, um, but just told her I didn't want to date anymore and I wasn't ready for a relationship, which was true. Uh, true. I wasn't ready for any sort of relationship at the time mentally. Um, I was still needing to work on myself. Um, and that just kind of led me to a whole slew of different experiences. Um, let me just go back. Let me stop there before you go forward. Um, thanks for sharing all that. Mm-hmm. That was a really wonderful segment. Um, you kind of talked to me more of the backstory before we went live of why you went home. And I think if I ask you, mm-hmm. you'd probably tell everybody exactly what happened because you're a pretty upfront guy. But I think... I think you're, I want to be clear with the listeners that you weren't sent home because you were, came out as bisexual. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. And there was just more to this going on in the story. And you've talked about pornography that crept mm-hmm. into your life as a missionary. And so did you feel it was the right thing to go home or were you disappointed to be sent home? I think ultimately it was the right decision um, and was a needed thing. And I appreciate you just you know, being up front with your mission president, it sounds like you're doing the very best job you can on the road you're walking to be pretty stand-up guy and talk to people. You talk to mm-hmm. a bishop about pornography use as a teenager. That took a lot of courage. It took a lot of courage. Recognize that you've been closeted. I'm putting the math quickly for a decade. This is the first person you've come out to. Yeah. If you think about that and the courage that took. I want to take you back <laughs> a little bit and remind you in one of your hardest moments is one of your very best moments. Um, you sort of pre-lived the advice Todd Sylvester gave you to own your own story or story mm-hmm. on you, and you really have been doing your best to do that. So I think your courage to be up front with your mission president about your pornography use on your mission that crept back in to come out, I think, identifying as best bisexual mm-hmm. is probably the right thing to do. I don't think that, or even say you're straight. I just think you were doing the very best you could um, to navigate your road with on your own. And so I, th- there's a side of me, and I think a lot of a side of our listeners that just want to go back and give you a big hug in that hotel room in London all along. Mm. I love that you prayed. I love that you woke up in the morning in a completely different spot. And I love that you're just walking life with integrity. I hope you recognize um, what a good job you're doing. And even though that mission didn't exactly turn out, you were there for well over a year, um, a lot of lives are better because of you. And I think you should, I hope you feel that and recognize that it was a very different mission because of COVID and because of some of this other stuff. Um, but I hope you, you know, 
look back and are grateful. You talk about, were you angry as you came home from your mission? And if so, were you able to work through that? Initially, uh, yeah, I was pretty upset with God um, because before my mission, I was really, really scared. I had a lot of anxiety about um, being gay and what that would mean by going on a mission. I didn't want to cause any harm to anyone or have anything happen while I was on my mission. So I specifically waited to get a prompting from the Spirit to let me know that I need to go on a mission. And then just one day during the summer, while I was helping my mom out in the yard, I got a very clear prompting that I needed to start my papers for my mission. And so I went forth in trusting God and went ahead and did my papers. Um, but then ultimately on my mission, things didn't go well. Um, I made some bad decisions. And um, when I was coming home, I felt betrayed by God because that initial prompting was my trust and my kind of everything to give. Um, so it, for me, it really kind of hurt, and I was angry. Um, and I was angry at God for a while because I just felt betrayed by him because um, I felt like everything was supposed to go right. Um, but after a while, after really working on myself, um, I struggled a lot with the church after that point and a lot of the viewpoints of it. Um, but I also knew kind of back in my head that I didn't necessarily want to leave the church either because it was something I grew up with and I still loved and believed. There were still parts of it I knew were true. And so I decided um, I would, I just really needed to get stuff out of my head um, and write down my thoughts. So I would take a notepad um, and write down my thoughts while I would sit outside the temple. Um, and during that time, I couldn't go into the temple because I was struggling with the church. Um, and initially, I ended up downloading the app called Grindr um, with no intentions of doing anything sexual. Um, but things kind of took a different route when um, I started talking with a guy on there who was also a member of the church. And he suggested we meet. Um, and before that point, I had been doing really good at not meeting people. Um, but... I was desperate to meet someone else that was in my shoes. And so I agreed to it. And ultimately, things took a different turn. Um, so I had to talk to my uh, stake president and bishop about that. And so I wasn't allowed to go in the temple, so I would just sit outside. And just get the best revelation I could at that time with all of my thoughts going through my head. Um, and I, I think that's something that really did help me um, kind of subdue the anger I had. While I was still frustrated, I wasn't angry anymore. I saw things I was struggling with, 
um, that I was still working through. But every time I would go to the temple, I would feel a bit better and get a little bit more revelation. Um, and to me, that's just a little bit of a reliever for me because I am nowhere near perfect. I have made a lot of mistakes and God still gave me answers. He never left me. He was always there when I really needed him during those times. It's pretty powerful what you're communicating. He never left me. He was always with me. I love you going to the Ochre Mountain Temple even though you couldn't go in. And just being on the grounds and recognizing that that would help you connect. I just mm-hmm. love that. And I love that there wasn't that you de-shamed yourself enough to know that you were within God's love and the temple, even though you couldn't go in, would be a great place. And I just mm-hmm. recognize your spiritual maturity to be where you are. Um, I'm not God, but I'm an earthly parent, and I would want my children to to do what you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would want to do everything I could to to take shame out of them so they would talk to me about their life and I could give them counsel on their life. And recognize that any influence that's separating my children from me would be something that I would not be happy about. Um, talk about, we talked about this before we went live, so I kind of know the answers, but you're pretty upfront with your bishop and your stake president about mm-hmm. what happened post-mission as you as you met up with some guys. Um, and I admire you being honest with them. It's part of you and being a stand-up guy, how did they respond? Were those positive experiences for you or negative experiences? I, when it comes to my leadership, I have been really blessed just with people in general in my life. Um, They have handled it extremely well in the way that I needed to. I have it handled. Um, A lot of it is, like my bishop, he's amazing. Um, Super stand-up guy. And... He is super understanding of everything. Um, I was very open with him, and um, he still just gave me the love that I needed. And a lot of, for me personally, of what they kind of did is, um, from my understanding, they prayed a lot about if I needed a disciplinary counsel. Um, But ultimately, every time, he would get the answer that I didn't. And so I never had one. Um, and my stake president and my bishop were really leaving it up or felt the need to leave it up to me. Um, they were basically waiting for me to make my decision, um, and kind of work through stuff on my own. And they were there for spiritual guidance and anything that I wanted to talk about with them. And they were just always open and super willing to talk. And so... They have been extremely amazing, and there's people in my ward that um, know that I'm gay, and they've just been overwhelmingly great and supportive of me. I, I love what your bishop and stick president have done. To me, that, you know, they can do that, support the doctrine of the church, and um, you don't hold a temple recommend. It's not like they give you a blank check to participate in the church. Mm-hmm. They just are going slow um, asking for Heavenly Father's guidance to the best way to support you. I think sometimes when we can all make this all about keeping the commandments and what were you thinking and sort of add to your shame, but I think you know what the commandments are. Mm-hmm. 
And I think what they're doing is what we all can do is listen, try to understand, let you a little bit self-determine how best to help you. A membership council isn't required in your situation. There's just a few things that require it. So as a YSA bishop, I would often um, counsel with even the YSA to explain them what a member used to be called a disciplinary council. Now it's called a membership council, if that would be helpful to them as part of their journey to fully participate in the church and what their individual goals were. And often they felt it would be. And so then we'd kind of do it together. Yeah, I still held the priesthood keys. Um, but a lot of times it was something we counseled together so that I could get personal revelation on what to do. And I sense your priesthood leaders are doing that. Now, there are time, I don't want to, neither of us want to create a narrative that what it's sort of like every, you know, that's still their story. And let's don't mm -hmm. make it some other bishop's story. But I think it's okay to hear a variety of stories so that those of you that are priesthood leaders know the best way to approach this. I've had some gay men have really difficult experiences. You know, one gay man told me that he told his bishop he kissed a guy and mm -hmm. the bishop just looked away in disgust. And that's the last time, you know, he met with that bishop. And so uh, there's a way, a Christ-like way of when people open up that can be just make all the difference. And we sort of have to repair ourselves for those as parents and priesthood leaders, how we're going to handle when somebody opens up um, so I love what your priesthood leaders are doing, and I love this feeling of belonging. I'm going to read this quote that um, that our listeners probably have heard from me, and and um, fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And you're doing that, Devin. And in some sense, you're the square peg in a world of round holes, and you've tried to become the round peg. Um, you were certainly doing that in high school, and that's exhausting. Um, but the church teaches, and you understand, you can't somehow, you didn't somehow do something to become a square peg and can something do something to undo it. This is just, I believe, how God created you, and it's the beautiful, needed diversity that makes our world better. Our world is better because you're gay. Mm -hmm. Our world is better for all your different attributes that help our world be better. It's the body of Christ. But back to this square peg thing, in a world of round holes, um, it's our responsibility to create some square holes so that people like Devin can feel like they fit in, and more importantly, belong. And what is your ward doing to create that for you? Um, a lot of people in my ward don't really know right now. There's, it's mainly, so my mom is the primary president. And it's mainly kind of that presidency that knows. Um, and a couple stray members. Um, but every time one of them has found out or um, have been told, um, they just love me the same. Um, they don't view me any different. And they're just probably some of the best people I can have in my life right now. Um, just because they're so loving and they still view me as me. Um, Talk about your mom. Uh, it sounds like you had a difficult call with her when um, you were ending your mission. Just talk about your relationship with your mom now. Our relationship, I would say, is amazing. Um, obviously, we still have our little struggles. Uh, but initially, when I first came out, 
she had different viewpoints, I would say. Um, obviously, I don't want to put ones in her mouth. Um, but um, she had to uh, take time and kind of rethink um, what she did in an amazing amount of time. This past year, me and her both have grown exponentially. And we have been extremely open with each other. Um, we haven't really hit anything. And so with us just being open, we've gotten a better understanding of each other. And that just really grew our relationship a lot, I think. It's a credit to you, Mom, if you're listening, just the road you've been on. And, you know, Devin, before we went live, talked about his love for you and all his siblings. And I think, <laughs> I don't know about words in your mouth, but I... It's a journey for parents, and if parents are listening, um, uh, be kind to yourself sometimes at first, um, but I love what she has done with you, that you feel safe talking to her about everything, and that she is listening and walking with you. Walking with our children is one of the best things we can do as parents. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about your dad. Tell us about your dad. We sort of skipped that part <laughs> of the story. Um, so I guess that adds a little bit more weight. Um, when I was 10, um, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer, uh, colon cancer. Um, and that kind of threw my whole family for a loop. Uh, I already had all my other mental stuff going on and this was already a lot of pain for my family and I didn't want to cause any more. So I pushed it further down and I pushed those emotions about my dad down because I didn't want my mom to have to worry about me. Um, If I'm one less thing she can worry about, then she'll be better off. And so I suppressed everything. um, And then in 2013, he ended up passing away. um, And we have just done our best since and tell us our, his name uh brent brent do you ever wonder how he'd feel about having a gay son i have thought about that a lot and ultimately i don't really know but i like to think that he would have been pretty open and supportive with me um throughout his life he was always a kind gentle guy and even during the midst of when he was feeling really crappy from chemotherapy, um, during church, uh, there were people in wheelchairs and he would help them and help them get to their car and help them inside their car. And that to me just shows what kind of person he was. He was just a nice, kind, gentle soul and didn't like conflict and always treated me with kindness. And so I think he would have been supportive. Thanks for talking about your good dad. What a tribute to him in a couple minutes. I I can't speak for your dad, but I would sense this would be one of his proudest moments to hear you talk about your life and how you're living your life with integrity of all the things you've worked through. Maybe he's been guiding some of this behind the scenes in some of your toughest times. I don't know how that all works. But I think he'd be tremendously proud of you. And I'm sorry he's not here to tell you that. 
because that's a big loss. Um, talk about, um, let's go back, and I think this is where I kind of cut you off to circle back, but I want to have you go forward now. I think you're mm -hmm. maybe still getting personal revelation in the Oker Temple Grounds for your future. Yeah. So wherever you want to go next, Devin. Okay, so I guess I'll start with, um, I was still struggling with the church at the time, um, but at that time I had also started dating guys. Um, um, I had only ever dated three guys. Um, first guy um, was really great, um, but things just didn't work out. We only went on two dates. Um, the second guy was more of a different story. Um, we talked and I was feeling good about stuff. My mom wasn't. She was gaining bad feelings about him. And as we talked more, there were more and more red flags. And I saw some of them, but didn't really think much of them. And we, so we talked and we would video chat um, and did that for, I don't know, probably a month. And then eventually he lived far away. And eventually he came up for our very first date. And initially it was really good. Um, went to the aquarium, was having a good time. Um, but throughout the day, he would do little things, um, and I just chose to ignore them and didn't say anything about it. And then ultimately later that day, um, he did more and more sexual kind of things, um, which led me to um, ultimately we had sexual relation and, um, I did say we should probably stop before it gets too far twice. Um, but I didn't say anything more than that. I didn't have enough self-respect for myself to stop it. And in my mind, I told myself I kind of deserved it for things I have done in the past. And so to me, it was kind of a form of punishment. And ultimately, I was groomed and kind of got used. Um, and I look back on that whole situation, and I see where everything was. I see all the red flags. Um, and I ended up talking to my president, or uh, sake president and bishop about that, and was going to the temple about that as well. Not going into the temple, but the temple grounds. Yeah, the temple grounds. Gotcha. Um, and after that, I still wanted a date. I, w I decided I wasn't going to let that whole situation affect me and put me in a bad spot again because I've been doing really good with Todd at that point as my therapist and got to a point where I was in a better me healthy mental state. And if I had let these kind of situations put me back in that guilt and shame, I would revert completely back. And so I was like, no, I'm not going to let this affect me. And I can went out and dated one more guy. Um, and this guy was really great, super, super nice, um, really respected boundaries. And we dated for about two months, and then we were official for about another two months. I was feeling really good about stuff, and so was he. He wanted to keep moving forward, but after some time, I wasn't feeling it as much as he was. And I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could reciprocate the feelings he was giving me. And so... 
I didn't feel like it was fair to him. I didn't want to string anyone along. And so I ultimately broke things off with him, although still amazing, great guy. Um, but while I was dating him and having those thoughts, um, I was at the temple on the grounds trying to receive revelation about some of the stuff, my patriarchal blessing. And um, one while I was getting some of those answers randomly out of nowhere, I got the revelation of I needed to break up with him, that he was not the right guy for me and that there was someone else, there was a better guy out there for me. And so that's what really kind of led me to push through with that breakup. Um, and since then I haven't really dated, but, um, just decided to focus on school. Um, and moving forward with that, um, I haven't fully ruled out dating. Um, I still dating women, dating men. Kind of both, right? The revelation I got, I always tried to get revelation on whether or not I was supposed to marry a girl. Because in my patriarchal blessing, it clearly says, almost word for word, that I would meet a beautiful daughter of God and that um, we would get married and it would be confirmed to the both of us and that we would have a family. And I struggled immensely with that. Because it's in my patriarchal blessing. That's supposed to be what leads my life. Um, and what helped me through that was Ben and Charlie's podcast, Question on the Closet. They did an episode on it. And I had to really get revelation on that. Um, and ultimately what I kind of got was I can marry a woman, but it won't be the kind of love that you would have with a man. I would be able to love her as a friend, um, but I don't know if I could ever really reciprocate the kind of love that that woman would deserve. And so ultimately for myself and I don't want to, I want people to have authenticity um, when it comes to their relationships. And I feel like it wasn't wouldn't be fair to that, whoever the girl would be, um, if I couldn't, give my all to that person. And so I still haven't gotten full revelation of where to go in my relationship, but right now I'm looking on marrying a guy. But if I do receive revelation that I should start dating women again, I am open to that. Um, if it if a woman is where God wants me, then I can do that. Thanks for being honest in that whole segment. I want to come back to a part of that segment, but I want to ask you a question right now. What is is your path, is your hope to stay in the church? Yes. Yeah, so I do want to stay in the church. Um, I really do love it. I have a lot of spiritual experiences with it. And I just have met so many great people. Um, the doctrine I really do believe in. Um, now, I can't confirm anything, though. Um, I... One thing I've learned is I never know what an outcome is going to be. I don't know if 10 years down the line, I might not want to be. Um, I live kind of my day by day by day. 
feeling. I don't live by certainties anymore when I used to try and have certainty in my life. Um, so at, right now, I feel comfortable with the church. I want to move forward with it. I'm currently working, like I'm taking the sacrament again, and I'm working towards a, getting my temple recommend back. And this is where I feel I should be right now. I love that. Um, I love that you being honest about that second relationship, if I've got the order right, where and you used the word groomed and used and you mm -hmm. felt you deserved it. Um, that was pretty vulnerable, but I think it's very instructive for all of us. I'm especially for younger people that are, I don't know, anybody, any age group that's starting to same sex date. You can be pretty vulnerable. You may not be your emotional best self and you can be taken advantage of. And so if people are listening, you've got to develop boundaries and skills in your own. If you're not in a healthy spot, you probably, you may not, you just put yourself in those sort of situations to be taken advantage of. Um, I think you recognize there were some yellow and red flags, but you just were not in a spot to be able to fully, fully do what you needed to do to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And you're not excusing it. I, you, nothing you said said, you know, I wasn't, I, you know, so you're, I think you're just a stand-up guy talking about what happened in your life. And I'm glad you shared that because I, I want other listeners that may feel impressed to same-sex date to be really careful. And you've got to be your personal best and you've got to be in a good spot. You've got to develop your boundaries ahead of time and you've got to talk before you start dating of what, you know, what are your boundaries and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And if you get in a situation where you regret what happened, I think you've got to recognize that you've got to, there's sin involved there, but you've got to recognize like you did, you talked to your bishop and your stick president, you're a stand-up guy, but you've got to say, this is part of, this is part of me learning. I think Heavenly Father is more interested in what we do after we mess up than messing up in the first place. I hope I can say that. I don't think he, I don't invite anybody to mess up, but I think the real test of our character is what we do next. And if we can learn from that experience and repent and improve and grow, that's part of mortality. And that's part of why the atonement is here. And I think you've done a great job. Um, and give hope to other people that are in a really dark spot, wondering if they can get themselves out of difficult situations. Your story brings a lot of hope to a lot of people. I want to go back and I try not to talk too much, but I want to go back to membership councils because that's, we talk about, I hear just lots of stories and there's a lot of latitude, but I always felt a membership council, if somebody didn't want to full, return to full activity and a membership council wasn't required, I certainly never felt an impression to do it because I felt it would just drive them further away. So sometimes in your situation, if you felt a membership camp, because you want to return to full activity, you want to partake, go back to the temple. In those situations, I'd be open to considering it. But often the spirit just prompted me, you can get, repentance is about godly sorrow and change mm -hmm. of heart. And a membership council is a means to accomplish that, or restrictions from the temple are a means to accomplish that. So let's don't get into kind of a checklist mentality mm -hmm. that this is how we get someone clean. Let's Let's use all the things we do as a means and work with them. And some, for some YSAs, reading a lot would be really helpful. And I give them a bunch of stuff to read. For some, they just didn't connect with. That was not a means to get to godly sorrow and change of heart. So 
I love what your priesthood leaders are doing is being prayerful and developing the right plan for you. Now, the same circumstances might result in a completely different plan. Our criminal justice system would give, if this were a criminal issue, would give you probably the same rule, you know, the same penalty, if that's the right word, as somebody else. But let's, but our our spirit-led, you know, repentance process in the church should be very flexible and very spirit-led because we're trying to get people to godly sorrow and change of heart. And that's what's happened with you. Talk about where you want to go. You want to get your temple recommend back. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's great. And you don't even know your full future, but I think it's great. There's no requirement the temple recommend that says you've got to know your full future and how are mm-hmm. you going to be in 10 years to have a temple recommend now. I think having your temple recommend is now. And I like that your priesthood leaders have, have, have given you an okay to take the sacrament because the sacrament to me is more about looking forward and keeping covenants versus a penalty for the past. And so I love that you're taking the sacrament. Are you okay with everything I said? If I say anything you're not okay with? Yeah, no, you're Sounds all good to me. Um, so there's a sub-story within here of a great family, obviously Devin, a great man, but great priesthood leaders that I think spirit-led is the best way I can use that are are going slow and really being led by the spirit. And in that whole process, it's really helpful for you um, because in this whole process, you felt a, a desire to be in the church where at a period of time earlier, maybe not. So um, keep just sharing. We're kind of coming to the usual stopping point, but I don't want to end premature. Are there are more parts of your story you'd like to share. Um, I guess another thing, when it came to me, um, deciding to stay in the church. This was a whole year process. Um, it was just this last year. And um, podcasts I listen to um, every day while I work, while I drive, just trying to hear people's stories, see what applies to me and what I can take away. Um, and ultimately, listening to this very podcast, um, the Spirit prompted me to reach out to two people. Well, technically three, um, two episode people, I guess. Um, and I normally would never, ever do anything like that. I'm a complete stranger, randomly texting a person. I've, I was like, no, that's weird. Why would I do that? Um, but I had listened to uh, Parker and Alex, um, Hadley Hone, and... After listening to it, the spirit just nagged at me for like hours because I just kept trying to push it off. And eventually I gave in and sent them uh, a text over Instagram. And they actually responded pretty quick. Um, and that I freaked out. I was nervous about it and ultimately didn't actually talk about a lot of the stuff I wanted to, um, just because I was freaking out. But I did talk to them about the whole situation, how to handle um, not dating that girl anymore. Um, and they helped me a lot. And then um, I also reached out to Connor Berg, and he helped me out a lot as well. Um, they're all amazing people and helped me a lot on that stuff. Um, and when it came to gospel stuff, especially. Um, 
what really got me to stay in the church though was one my te- uh, my revelations that I was getting but also in a weird turn of events I ended up developing a crush on a guy um, who was a part of the church and I really don't know why never met the guy um, and hardly have ever talked to him and I feel I still find it weird to say why I developed a crush on him, uh, but one reason I realized I really liked him was because of how um, he wanted to be in the church and how spiritual he was or is. And that made me realize, like, yeah, of course I want to stay in the church. I love it too much, and it's been such a big part of my life. I can't just leave it. And once I made that decision, um, things kind of started to roll down. Because I was kind of at a standstill for that year. And I realized now that God was waiting for me to make a decision on where I wanted to go with the church. And so when I made that decision to stay in the church, things just really started to move forward. Um, I got connected with you to do this podcast. Um, my bishop started to talk to me about doing a fifth Sunday um, on the topic of LGBTQ um, awareness and um, wanted me and my mom to be a part of that. And then I also was introduced with an institute class that was also about stories of LGBTQ people and ultimately got to share a little bit of my story there as well. And so I really feel like God has put stuff in my path um, for whatever reason. I don't know what, um, but I just feel like these are things I am needing to do. And so I've just been following with that. And that kind of just leads me up to today, I guess. Um, just doing my best to continue to get revelation. Um, hopefully continue dating. <laughs> um, but you know, I always think about how God always comes and gives you what you need in a weird way. I never would have thought I would get the decision to stay in the church by having a crush on a guy. And so that's one thing I always take away is God lets you or gives you the information you need when you need it and in ways you don't always expect. It's a great way to end. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of these podcasts. One of the trends I've noticed is that people are getting at a younger age to this, to the place you are. You're 21. Mm-hmm. You're not 31. Another decade of sort of shame and self-loathing. And it's, I think it's a credit to our society. It's a credit to your family. It's a credit to your priesthood leaders. It's a credit to just the people around you, but it's a, it's a credit to Todd and people like Todd and his good wife, Bonnie, great allies. It's a credit to you though. And it's, it's a, to me, it's a testimony of our doctrine of personal revelation that you are owning that doctrine and staying close to your heavenly parents and getting personal revelation for your path forward. And, um, and this is once again, the de-shaming podcast, you know, shame (laughs) says I am bad versus I did something bad. That's a Brene Brown quote. 
And I really believe that there's so much shame in culturally in the church that isn't part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you are certainly helping us to see that and pull that out of our lives or help other people. So Devin Wilde, you have a great life ahead of you. And your podcast has helped a lot of people. And I think of the belonging of what is happening in your ward with wanting to do a fifth Sunday with you and your mom and your institute class. And those are things, listeners, that I think we're just ready to do on a local level, church-sponsored, church-supported. And Elder Ballard gave a quote at BYU that gives you air cover to do this. We need to listen to and understand what our LGBTQ members are feeling and experiencing. We have to do better than we have done in the past, so all feel they have a spiritual home. So that's your air cover if you need it as a local leader to do exactly what's being done. But And the best thing is not for straight people like me to come talk about LGBTQ. It's for LGBTQ people to step forward and share their stories because that's how my heart changed was listening to a couple of gay men in my ward. And so I'm glad that your bishop wants you to speak and your institute class wanted you to speak and you are on this podcast because we're trying to create Zion and you're helping us get to the finish line, Devin. So with that, Richard Osler and Devin Wild signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.